All right. Good afternoon. Good evening, wherever you are. Greetings to Pelzer, South Carolina, Bangkok, Thailand, and all points in between. Here we are, Mad Park Music Podcast, Madcast, whatever we want to call it, recorded live here in the vault at the Playroom, 916 Tuckasegee Road, serving Charlotte's music and creative community since 1994. And today, we're here with the man, Eddie Z. Eddie, how are you? What's happening, guys? Pleasure to have you guys in. Doing well. Also with me, and less important, but uh, maybe integral, my partner, Brian Satina. He's hey, better looking than you. And I'm here this week after last time I uh, left you to do it by yourself. Yeah, yeah, thank God. I need help. <laughs> All right, so uh, let's get started, Eddie. So uh, we're at the playroom. Wait, we're, we're getting right to well, it? Yeah, we're going to go yeah, right, right into it. it. Let's jump right into it. No softballs. We're, we're at the playroom, so let's talk about this wasn't the original location. Uh, we do know that. So mm -hmm. give me a little background on you know, where you started and how you got to this building. Cool. Um, the playroom actually started... Uh, in Charlotte in 1994. We were at a building on 10th and Graham for, from 94 to 2000. Uh, and then actually in 99, we knew that that building was going to get gentrified like all of Charlotte does. And uh, we were going to lose our spot. And I um, decided that it was time to buy something and not be subject to someone else's rentor. What is that building at 10th and Graham now? Is that same building still there? No, it was, it was knocked down mm -hmm. right after... Um, we moved out. It was a two-story brick building um, downstairs. It was very charming, actually. I say that in air quotes. Um, <laughs> downstairs was a fish market, oh. um, as well as a um, woman's barbershop uh, and a Caribbean restaurant. So the playroom was upstairs, and in order to get up the steps, you had to come in, which meant you have to walk past the fish smell, the hair product smell, the burnt food, and it was a very, it was very All charming. All of which came from the same room, apparently. Yeah, it was, it was <laughs> charming. Honestly, it was, um, it was brutal. Rustic, uh, they call that. Yeah, that's a word for it. Hey, Tom, you see that first stand up and walk over to that, that rack with all the pretty lights on it? And the one on your left, the, the big, that knob, turn that one click to your left. Beautiful. Um, I'll edit that out, or it'll just be behind-the-scenes recording No, that's stuff. what you call a 30-second internship. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Anyway, the, uh, the original building was quite interesting, and when I moved in there, we got one room. That was all I could afford, and uh, we used to say it would have to have been upgraded to be condemned. <laughs> I mean, really, it was that bad. What was the like, square footage space on that room? Oh, um, it might have been 12 by 12, maybe. Um, and the whole thing started there. I'm not a math um, major, but that ain't big. No, no, no. Uh, and and uh, compile onto that the fact that I was literally sleeping in other studios at the time. Um, so the very first thing we did was built an apartment so I would have a place to live. So that took even more square footage away from the one, one room. Yeah, the well, usable room, yeah. The, the actual space ended up being quite large. Um, but when I, when I tell you that there were power cables hanging from the ceiling into puddles... And stuff like that. I'm, I'm really not, I'm not exaggerating at all. And like people I would talk to about what my vision was, and they would come up and they would be like, dude, you are, you are whack. You are out of your mind. And I'm like, uh, yeah, no, we got this, you know. And uh, so there's a fine line between vision and delusion, is what you're telling us? Um, it was actually desperation. Okay. If you have nowhere to live and you have a dream, then what choice do you have then to pursue it and, just honestly say fuck it nothing's gonna what, stop is that me. when you first came to charlotte is, was no that... I, I was in charlotte a little while i had you know was doing construction i was doing um 
you know, various, various things. But uh, my first job in Charlotte ever, we're getting away from the question here, but my first job in Charlotte ever was as the monitor engineer at, at Verizon. I mean, it was like, really? You can get this kind of job? In New York, someone has to die to get that kind of gig. Yeah. So anyway, back to the two-story nasty brick building. The whole top of the, that we didn't have was a um, after-hours liquor club. And so the parties mm. really started at about 1 a.m., and it, it was it was crazy. And and anyone who's listening who was at that player at that playroom at 10th and Graham will tell you it was a it was an interesting spot. And then when you when you were finding when you found this building, how many spots did you look at before you gravitated to this spot? I, I honestly over 20. Okay. Um, and it was just a matter of where what I could afford uh, met with an owner who would finance. Because I wasn't, you know, I had a business that had been in business seven years at the time. We didn't have fantastic credit. Um, it wasn't bad. It just wasn't established. And there was no way that a bank was giving me a mortgage. So I was shopping for something very specific. I was shopping for a big-ass spot uh, with an owner who was negotiable and who would finance. And that's what we found. Was there ever a thought <clears throat> to not do it here in Charlotte? No. No, I... uh I had left Florida after a divorce and I was on my way back to New York and I stopped in Charlotte. I got sick, actually. I had strep throat, ended up spending six weeks on someone's couch that I knew. Yeah. And uh, Charlotte really just claimed me, honestly. I went out do looking that. for a job. Yeah, yeah, it claims a lot of people. <laughs> I went out looking for a job one afternoon and I got like three jobs. And um, one of them ended up being at, at Verizon or whatever they call it, that place now. Uh, and it was like, really, and I couldn't, like, there was so many opportunities here, there was no way I was leaving. Right. So the actual year, what was the actual year you moved into this building? So I bought this building in 99. Okay. We basically opened in 2000. Um, so this building, Charity Case, my band, and my son were all, all happened within a six-month period in the year 2000. It was really crazy. I know this building from before when you had it. When it was when it was a Heilig Myers. Yeah, uh, many many years. We left my mom and dad's restaurant uptown and took Fourth Street down to where it turns into Tuxedo, and then took a hard right up to Bradford Drive to go to church, or back and forth to their restaurant to grab stuff. Here's a kind of a. <clears throat> I was just thinking about this. So, do you remember? It's kind of a two parter. Do you remember like your first? Um, yes, I know her name too. <laughs> person that was it your first tenant in here, but then also. Do you, when you first started, was there, was it ever like, okay, I need to fill the place. So you weren't, you weren't as picky or you weren't as cautious with tenants as you might so be now. So let me tell you how it worked. When we came over here, um, I had rehearsal rooms at the old playroom. So essentially the first two or three rooms here were already occupied. There were people that transferred over. Right. So I had enough money to build the first seven rooms. So if you come into the playroom by the soda machines, room it rooms one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven. They walk in to go to your left. Yes, walk in, go to your left, down the hall. Those rooms were built from Jump Street. We, I knew that when we, when we, when I bought the building, I had enough money to build those, barely. Um, and three of them were filled like the day we opened. Okay, but the rest of it was all not done, and I didn't have any money. So the way it worked would would be someone would come to me and say, I need a rehearsal room. And I would say, absolutely no problem. Um, give me your deposit. 
and I'll have one ready for you in 30 days. So I would take their deposit. I would go buy materials. We would have 30 days to build the room. And on day 30, we would sign a lease and the person would move in. And, and now we have 35 rooms. So I would say 20 of them were built just like that. Mm -hmm. And I'm very proud to say we never missed one deadline. Nice. Not one person who we told we'd have a room ready for waited. Genius. So it, it was genius. It was really a matter of necessity. It wasn't anything else, but that was the only way I could pull it off. And you're talking about a building that's 20,000 square foot. So hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of sheets of drywall because all the rehearsal rooms have double walls. There's 10 inches of dead airspace between each room. So they're two complete separate wall sections. And the drywall was outrageous. So I would get a handful of 50s, like as many as I could, and I would go to the different drywall warehouses in town, and I'd go find the manager, and I'd say, hey, this is what I'm doing. I know you're going to have damaged boards because everyone has damaged boards. Here's 50. Here's my card. Call me when you have damaged boards, and we'll come get them instead of throwing them in a dumpster. And that became so popular because people didn't want to see it go to waste, and people were really digging like all for one, one for all kind of thing. I would get a truck come in and bring me 300 boards that all had cracks in the top. And it might have taken more, more labor than it would have. A little more mud. You know, a lot more mud and, and you know, special. Uh, we would spray texture super thick so it would cover all the, all the bad mud work because I am not a mud guy. I assume that's how popcorn ceilings became a thing at yeah, one point if, in this country. If you look at our walls, especially in the, the, that, that section of the building, the, the texture is really deep on them, and we call it lunar texture. And I would mix that shit so thick <laughs> and spray it on with a compressor that it looked like the texture of the moon. And everyone made fun of me, and I was like, fuck you, it works. Yeah, we thought we I were getting charged extra for that in there, our spots. There you go. There and you for go. those of you that don't know, Brian and I have a company, Mad Park Designs. We do screen printing and uh, graphic design and other things. And we have three rooms here at the Playroom. This is how we've kind of developed a relationship. You started in one. Started yeah. in one. We, well, we took the one landlocked room, which is our favorite room now, the, yeah. the window room. But anyway, it's, um, it's a unique space and a great opportunity for us to have built-in clientele with not only Eddie, but all the musicians and other people that yeah. come in here. Our so. history goes back a little ways with Eddie because um, I knew him from some music stuff in town. And then uh, he had a room open. We snatched it because before that, Tom and I were in a storage unit on South Boulevard where no water, hardly any lights. You know, you got you to gotta shit in a bucket early if you want to. But <laughs> It was a cookout takeout box most of the time, but, but who's on, counting? No but, uh, you know, Eddie was like, hey, I got a room available if you guys want to yeah. take a look at it. And we came and uh, we were like, let's A quantum let's do it. leap from where we were. Well, yeah. Some and background now that you more. guys may not know is that as a place that houses bands, um, 35 of them or more, uh, I always wanted a t-shirt shop in here and I had negotiated a couple different times with, with t-shirt guys that, um, just were talking, not action. And, and so when, when I met Brian and, and he was like, yeah, we're starting a t-shirt business, you know, my antenna went up the, you know, hair in the back of my neck stood up and said, this is what we need. And especially when you guys said, uh, you're going to specialize in small runs. Yeah. And that's, I think one of the things that keeps you so busy mm -hmm. inside the building with all the bands we have is you'll do a dozen shirts or 10 shirts or six shirts or two dozen shirts. And most um, screen printers sort of turn their nose up at that. And I think you've made it a strong suit. And that's one yeah. reason we kind of started the business. Yeah, we were, just to tell you what we do just for a second or why we do it, we started doing it because we could never get 
adequate service. We couldn't get the time of day. And when we did, you'd give them a, a local screen printer and they will all remain nameless. But you would ask them to do something. You get that first order and then they wouldn't return to call on the second order. Hey, man, I need two more shirts. You're not getting a call back on that. You're just not. And I found that out. And I've dealt with so many local musicians that do not have tons of money to throw around. Yeah. So, you know, they just need 10 shirts to see how it goes. It's working out pretty damn well for you. I, I think, think. So. I, I think We're yeah, growing think every so. month, and thanks to you. But uh, back to that whole thing. Do you, your first tenant you ever had? Uh, my first tenant was not in that I can think of was not in this building actually. Mm-hmm. Um, was a band called Five Times Down. And, oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Um, I was a big Five Times Down fan. Me too. And actually um, tried to sign them to a management contract mm-hmm. in like 1996. Yeah. Something like that. Um, there were others. There was a band called Burning Rain that was in here. Um, there was a band called Rain Wagon. Uh, there's a guy named John Mauser who rented from me probably six different times over a 25-year period in and out. So we, we've, been a, we've been home to a lot, a lot, a lot of different musicians who have come and gone and come and gone. And, and when someone moves out, I make notes on their lease. And uh, so someone will come back and say, hey, I rented from you and you know, 98, and I'll go out and pull up their lease, and based on what their note says, um, I'm either, <laughs> yes I'm either no. uh, very inviting or very, um, hey, man, you burned your bridge back then, and <laughs> we, don't, we don't rebuild. Yeah, that's all right. Not that, quickly. That kind of leads me to another question, though, that I think we're going to talk about later, but you mentioned the artist management stuff. Yeah. You're doing that now. Um, you've, got, you've got some people and some stuff in the works. Oh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to talk, about, talk that? about that. Thanks for bringing that up. So, um I have been asked over my 30-year career, 25 years in the playroom, many different times to to manage artists. It's never really worked out the way I'd like it to have. The fit wasn't right. Or um, This is a really, really difficult business to to make a living in. And people, everyone wants to be a a pop musician or a musician or a rock star, whatever you want to call it. An artist. An artist, great. That's even better. (laughs) But when it comes down to putting in the work, uh, everyone that I've signed... um, just wasn't willing to put in the effort so I, I came across this this girl her name is abby kurtz she's 16 years old now i met her when she was 14 she's a bass player and she gets it <laughs> like from the second i met her we do these things called the bass hang and it's a, a community thing the playroom hosts it's free of charge and the bass players of the community really um put it together and bass players come from all around, like hours and hours they drive to get here to do this. And they all hang out in a room. The first time we did it, we expected 15 bass players, and we had 80. The second time we did it, we had 60. Um, so rewind to the first time, there was this little shy girl playing a five-string bass in a cor- corner, just tearing it up. And I sort of took notice of her, and uh, maybe six months later when we had the next hang, she was there again, and... Um, sort of the same thing. And then on this third one, most recently, she had just turned 16, and she drew a crowd. She grew, drew a crowd of dudes like, holy cow, are you kidding me? Like, this girl can, can flat out play. A couple days later, uh, her dad called me and said she had been asked to audition for America's Got Talent, and would I record her backing tracks? And I was like, yeah, sure, you know. I said, you know, what song, what song she want to do? And I expected, you know, Taylor Swift or something like that. <laughs> and her dad says, um, she's going to do The Trooper by Iron Maiden. And she's going to sing it and play it. I went, 
oh, okay, um, sure, I'd like to do that. And long story short, she came in with a band that none of them were older than 16. Most of them were 15, 14, and they just destroyed it. I mean, they killed it, especially Abby, uh, especially if you know that song. In the chorus, there's some really cool octave bass stuff that's not easy to play, and she played it and sang it like she'd been like she'd been taught it from Steve Harris, you know. And uh, one thing led to another. Then I put her in the booth and I heard her sing harmony. She, I said, "You ever sang harmony before?" She's like, "No." I was like, "Okay, sing the third on this," and she sang the third. And I said, "Well, okay, sing the fifth. What note is that?" Okay, so I played it for her and then she sang it. I was like, "You really have never done this before?" She's like, "No." I said, "Well, you just sang a chord," and. Uh, I signed her to a deal. Nice. She um, she has a single coming out on May 14th. Uh, it's called It Should Have Been Me. Um, she is opening for Nita Strauss, who she f has become friends with. Nita Strauss is the guitar player in the Alice Cooper band and one of the baddest guitar players on the planet. Not because she's a girl. I've seen her. I've heard her. She's awesome. She is, uh, she is an amazing guitar player yes, who is. happens to be female. Yeah. Right. Well, Alice Cooper doesn't, um, he doesn't bring any trash to his band, I noticed, over, no. the, over the decades that I've seen him. Yeah. yeah. And those people go on to other bigger things. Uh, Absolutely. Well, maybe not bigger now, Alice Cooper, but other great things. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a stepping stone for a lot of artists, and a lot of artists get there and, and just stay there. By the way, Brian, I really dig that shirt. Brian's wearing a nice. shirt that says NASA, and it's got pictures of the space shuttle. Um, it's blue and white. And um, it's it's totally cool. It looks like an eight year old pajama top. It See, does look it like is cool, I've got two. It, I've got two people that like it today, and then Tom. Did no, I'm not saying like, I don't like it. I'm saying it looks like an eight year old. Well, we can. Okay, so I agree with Tom. We can all and be there for like the, the shirt. We can all be there for the first. It's like my launch, English Tom. professor says: don't say but, say and. It looks terrible, and I would wear it. <laughs> <laughs> it looks terrible, and like a child, eight year olds. Uh, I'd like to burn it off of your body and kill you. <laughs> Things of that nature. I got you. I got you. Um. Going back to the playroom as an entity, as a breathing entity, what things does the playroom, in parentheses, Eddie Z, what things does the playroom offer to those individuals like who are smart enough to come over and ask, what services do you offer? That, that's a great question. Essentially, the playroom is about three different business things. Uh, the first thing we do is we have 35 monthly rehearsal rooms uh, that rent out exactly like, an like a musical apartment. You can't live here, but it's your space. You can decorate it as you want. Um, if you went into three different rooms, you'd see them set up three different ways. Um, and those rooms, knock on wood, thankfully, they're pretty, they stay full. Our occupancy rate is like 99%. Um, but they, the biggest, coolest thing about those rooms is they give people a safe haven to create. Um, we, we call it no cops, no moms, no neighbors, no shit. So... You want to come in, you want to jam, it's... It's a great idea for a t-shirt, by the way. Yeah, I think I will have some printed. <laughs> Nicely said. Um, so that's the one leg of our business. Uh, the second leg of our business is we do hourly rehearsal. We have two rooms, the national room and the production room. You can see pictures of them online at theplayroomonline.com. And these are fully equipped rooms, meaning they have drums, they have bass rig, guitar rig, mics, uh, monitors. You walk in, you plug in, you play. So from five minutes you walk into the door, you're already making music. Um, and the production room gets used for video shoots, uh, special events, all kinds of other stuff. And the third leg of our business is recording. Uh, we have a, the place called The Vault, which is where we're sitting right now. 
It is a world class room. Fantastic. Yeah, it's it's a really cool place. It is look 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 it up online. I I didn't design it. I just made sure it was built perfectly. Um, and we do recording everything from a solo guitar act to an orchestra to right now one of the Billboard top Billboard gospel records is a, a record called um, Goshen by Donna Lawrence and the Tri-City Singers, and we recorded the 45-person choir here. Are they local? Um, so City? Donald is out of Chicago. Yeah. Um, Tri-City is um, Greensboro, Charlotte, and I think Fayetteville. Okay, so that's the local tie-in, I suppose. Yes, but they just had their 20-year anniversary on, on Sony Records, and the, the one funny thing about that coming full circle was their original rehearsals were done in the National Room um, and then they came back here to record just this past that summer. Cool. It's one of those spots really where neat. you looked in the notes to see how they're doing. <laughs> to see no, no. So, yeah. so when you, if you look up Donna Lawrence, he is really one of the premier vocal guys in the world. Mm -hmm. um, and when he calls, you listen. Um, I thought of this, and I don't know if you, how many times you get asked this, because we're still on the topic of the playroom itself. How many different names did you think of, or did you just immediately go, okay, I'm calling it the playroom? I don't think I've never asked you this before. And no, the, the honest answer was um, that that name came with the concept. When I um, came up with the concept, that name was always there, and uh, the logo was always my red Les Paul. Now the, the Les Paul has changed a little bit over the years, uh, but when I toured in the in the eighties and I would come off the road, I always had the most killer guitar rig. At back then, I had a two full Marshall stacks, one was wet, one was dry, and my guitar player friends would come over and plug in, and, like, I couldn't get them off of my rig. Like, all right, dude, you've been here four hours, it's time to go home. Um, <laughs> and my concept was, like, you know, not everybody gets to play on the best of the best gear, and maybe people will pay to play on the best gear. And to this day, uh, all our drum kits are DW, all our bass rigs are Ampeg, all our guitar amps are Marshall or Vox, we only use the best, and people come back over and over, and, and it, we always hear, man, I wish I had a kit like this at home, or, you know, well, you don't have to. You can come to the playroom, and for a really reasonable price, you can play on the best there is. That's a great advertisement. Yeah. That being said, how can people find out rates? Are you posting that online now or anything? So um, I fired myself earlier this year. Okay, that's a good um, move. <laughs> I decided I was one of the problems of the business. <laughs> so well, the truth is, is that people would call the book and I would be in session or I'd be in a rush. And I, I you know, didn't always take the, the proper amount of time to greet someone nicely and, you know, and, and be able to talk I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm in the middle of a session. Can I call you back? And I realized that that they deserve people. My clients deserve better than that. And so for two years, we tried to put together a system where you can book rehearsals online and we finally got there. My web guy, Frank, is is a savior. And we finally figured it out. And now you can go to theplayroomonline.com. You can click on hourly rehearsals. And you can book anything you need to book. It literally, my clients tell me it takes 90 seconds. And it's much easier than talking to me. It's certainly more pleasurable. <laughs> Would be what some idiot might say. But not someone who rents from me. Oh, God, no. <laughs> oh, God. Like me would say. <laughs> Things Tom would this. say. <laughs> Things Tom would say. Put it on a t-shirt. Um, okay, you mentioned Charity Case earlier. You want to give everybody kind of a background on Charity Case and if <laughs> if they've got any plans for 2019? Cool. Um, so 
Charity Case is a band that I was in. It's it's uh, now 19, holy shit, it's 19 years. Um, we started in the year 2000. We played our first gig, I think, in, in 2001. And all of their money Charity Case makes go to benefit terminally ill and chronically disabled children. And uh, from, the, from the start, that was the idea of the band. And we played covers. And it's really a, it's a big rock show, and it must have worked okay because we gave away one point two million dollars. Now, after we gave away that much and we did fifteen years of it, I was kind of you know I kind of had had enough and wanted to do other things like my own record. But now, sort of once a year we do things. Um, I really those guys in the band uh, are like my brothers. I've spent more time that with them. Than Who are the other people family. in the band? By the way, oh, they're not important. They're just in the okay. band. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Um, so on, on lead vocals is Ace from the Ace and TJ show. Uh, on the other guitar player is a guy by the name of Clifton Van, who Clifton and I literally have been playing guitar together for 25 years. On bass, the rookie in the band. He's been in the band 14 years, and we still call him the rookie. Fresh meat. Yeah, he's uh, that's Eric McRae. And the drummer um, is a guy by the name of Shane Marshall. Uh, and Shane was um, the second drummer in Charity Case. I think he's been around since 2001. I think he's the only, the only drum. Yeah, he, he, he started gigging with us. But anyway, we gave away $1.2 million. We do it about once a year when I really sort of miss everybody and want to. Um, the music's great. It's secondary, though. But it's a brotherhood. These, these guys, we've been to war together, so to speak. And, no better uh, calls than what you guys do it for. Yeah, sure. you know, we, we've touched a lot of people. We really have touched a lot of lives. And and as someone who's produced, engineered, or played on over 500 records, um, the funniest thing is I've gotten recognized all over the world for Charity Case. I've been in, I've been in Alaska. I've been in Italy. Um, I have been in Ireland. I have been in Los Angeles um, and had people come up to me, hey, aren't you the dude from Charity Case? And that cracks me up. You know, it's really funny. It's, it's you know, it's just a cover band, but um, we have we have touched a lot of people. And uh, now we just got asked to um, to play uh, Saturday night for Speed Street, which is, you know, a huge Charlotte event. We've never been able to do it before because Ace, our singer, has always been on competing radio stations to who the sponsor is of Speed Street. But this year it's all under iHeart and the sort of the stars aligned and and uh, we said, hey, you know, this would be the, this would be the time. Now, so, is this the speed treat because I'm not big into racing, but is that May or October? So it is um, it's Memorial Day weekend. OK, so late. May, so yeah. I believe we play May 25th uh, at Romare Bearden Park. We go on right before Sticks, I believe. <coughs> um, and it's a it's a really big deal. And it. it I actually texted the guys this morning because we rehearsed, rehearsed last night, and I said, you know, it's just nice to have everybody in the room because it, it's it really is a bl brotherhood. When the band started, most of our children were three or four years old, and now they're all going to college. Was so, that always the original idea to donate to that absolutely. specific cause? From, from 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 inception, it really started out as a bit on the radio, mm -hmm. and talking about the old original playroom. The original charity case, charity case rehearsals happened in the old playroom, and uh, um, Ace was the drummer, and he couldn't drum, and they had a band full of people who couldn't play, and I would wear earmuffs just so I could get through the rehearsals. <laughs> That's top ten material on Billboard nowadays, by the way. Yeah, yeah, but um, he said, "Hey, I can tell by the things on your wall, you know what you're doing, and I can, you can probably tell that I have no clue." Would you be in the band? And I was like, "Well, you're asking me to be a music director, and I do that for a lot of money." 
Um, and then they told me there would be no money, and I still did it. Uh, Sucker. Yeah, soft, well, I was soft driving, heart. Soft I had heart. never yeah. heard of, of the Ace and TJ show. You know, when the guy called to book it, he's like, this is Ace from the Ace and TJ show. I'm like, yeah, great. What's your credit card number? Well, how, how long he, had he been doing that show when you guys started? Was it? Was he, oh, was I would it say was he doing it for a two while, or three so. years. Okay. And then I was driving down Independence Boulevard right after that phone call and saw a billboard with his name on it. I was yeah. like, huh, this might have some potential. Yeah, you look up and say, hey, there's that dude that bothered me. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And, and he's still bothering me. Yeah. All, all these years later, he's... he's but you know, we're. Are like you I saying said, that, that the buildup is great, and you do the one gig, and you're like, "Yeah, I need another year break." Um, we're actually gonna do. You know, should I announce it here? I don't know if I should announce it here. Yeah, it's up to you, um, man. Let's just say that there's a huge announcement coming up. Uh, I, I don't want to. I don't want to say it here simply because. Uh, oh my! New York came out. Did you hear that? Um, simply because uh, it's not all set in stone. But when it gets close to the end of June. Why don't we do another one of these things yeah. and yeah. we can talk about that. But suffice to say, Charity Case will probably play three times this year. Once at Speed Street, uh, once we are headlining the uh, Indian Land Festival, um, that's in October. And there might be something towards the end of June that is a really big deal. And we'll get into that later. Hypothetically, yeah. that sounds intriguing. Yeah, it might be good. It might involve you guys, too. Oh, oh right. do tell. <laughs> okay. hey, hey, what are we said, doing? What's going on? Uh, you said New York there, and uh, I know where you're from, but where are you from? So I, I grew up um, on the edge of Long Island and the edge <laughs> of Queens. That was the dumbest softball I ever threw in my life. Uh, I know where you're from, but... Uh, you where are you from? Your name's Eddie, correct? <laughs> <laughs> what's that? What's... Um, I grew up in New York, uh, right on the edge of Manhattan, on the edge of Queens, uh, and I, um, I'm still a total New Yorker, even though Charlotte is very, very much home for me. I know you're a Panthers fan, but before you ever got here, uh, let me throw some teams at you. I want to see where your, your heart and your psyche is at. Jets or Giants? Giants. Ugh. Gross. Um, Yankees or Mets? Mets. Okay. Good. Dude. People on death row done less than you. <laughs> okay. Just curious. But, you Jesus know, there's a reason. Yankees. There's a reason why. Um, Lovable when I, losers. When I was a kid, I was uh, I was a bat boy at Shea Stadium. The big Shea. And uh, but I wasn't a bat boy for the Mets. Actually, I was a bat boy for the San Francisco Giants because my brother-in-law was the vice president of that of that huh. team. So every time they would come, they would to, come town, to town, oh, yeah. I would I would bat boy. That's and, cool. And it was really cool, except I didn't like baseball very much. Um, and my whole family is baseball crazy. Yeah. But I was just like. They tip good and it's free candy. I'm in. What have you done uh, in the playroom this year so far? I know you've had a big year so far. Oh. And it's only, it's only going to be April. Drop some names. Okay. Um, so the entire NBA halftime show that aired all over the world uh, was not live. Ooh, you heard it here first. Um, J. Cole's performance, uh, his band, that entire thing was recorded here at the playroom. Uh, J. Cole's band spent five days in here, two days rehearsing, two, uh, four and a half days, uh, two and a half days recording they took my and mixing. Spot. They took your parking spot. Um, so the only thing from that performance that was live was J. Cole's vocal. Um, and that's not uncommon with like Super Bowl stuff. And it's just there's so much production involved that we're, we're not naive. Yeah. Um, so that was really cool. And at the same time they were here, uh, Meek Mill's dancers were in here. That was cool. Um, then the same time they were all in here, uh, prog metal giants, Tesseract were in here. 
um, and they really blew my mind. They were they were really amazing. Them boys are good, man. Um, I like them. Yeah, it was happening and stuff. You know, I'm a tough crowd on that. Yeah, uh, and then like the following weekend, um, Thelonious Monk, his son T. S. Monk was in here. If you're not familiar, look up Thelonious Monk. Uh, he's in the same ballpark as John Coltrane, uh, Miles Davis, and uh, that was that. His stories, T.S. Monk, the son, uh, his stories. His, by the way, his son's 69 years old and a drummer. It's not like you know, a little yeah. kid. Um, his stories were unbelievable. Like his frame of reference was totally nuts. Um, Another Blue Note Records All Star. Yeah, just just crazy, crazy stuff. Uh, so I'm sure there's a lot more because that's only a glimpse, but it's been a, it's been a really, really busy year so far. You warned us that, uh, let me rephrase that. You told us that you may run into some people you may recognize from, uh, television or broadcast news. And the first week we were here, we, you know, we spent a lot of time when we first moved in here, uh, January 2nd last year. I remember the dates, Brian. But anyway, I walk outside one night, and uh, a couple of fellows out in the parking lot chatting it up, and they turn around, hey, what's up, man? I say, hey, how's it going? And one of these dudes is very small. You might all, you could even say he was little, little Wayne. Yeah. <laughs> so I said, oh, yeah, yeah, there's some people in here. But he likes to come to town to skate. Yeah. He skates over, well, a place across town. I don't want to yeah, mess we, him up or anything. Yeah, we've also had um, Sean White has been in here. Hmm. Now, are those two friends? Do they skate together? I don't, I don't know the answer to that. Okay. But I tell people all the time, you never know who you're going to run across when you walk through here. Um, like you walk through a, and hear a song go, oh, I know that song. Uh, that doesn't sound like a cover song. And I'll be like, yeah, that's the artist. That's that's yeah, who you think it is. There's some damn good karaoke going on in there. Yeah. yeah, it was that, like we were eating that pizza that time with the guys from Taking Back Sunday. I was like, hey, man, I used to listen to you all the time. Oh, yeah, we had yeah, so. we had John Nolan and, mm. and the guys from Taking Back Sunday in twice. Um, yeah. and that they were super cool. And, and the funny part of that is they're all from my hometown. Yeah. They're from Oceanside, New York. Yeah. And I was like, okay, next time you come, if you don't bring bagels, we're fighting. <laughs> Brian mentioned a trigger phrase in my vocabulary and that's pizza. Yeah. No, oh, that's one of my no. favorites. Now, 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 hold on now. Don't ruin this. <laughs> <laughs> now we'll get, we'll go back to the real food stuff in a minute, but what's your favorite junk food, man? Pizza. Yeah. 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 Um, Eddie hipped me to a new pizza joint a few months ago. Sal's over on Monroe Road. It's pretty darn good. Shout out to Sal's. But uh, I like me some pizza a lot. I know you do too. One thing that people don't know about me is, is that I'm a published chef. And I've. Um, that brings us to Brian's question. Well, go ahead, Brian. I don't want to steal your thunder. Well, no, I, we were going to ask you about. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Great sound I don't know effect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We'll edit that in later with a real thunder, maybe. It would be sweet. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. Tell what? Jess. Hey, Jess. Yeah, yeah. Thunder. I just learned how to do PowerPoints, so there. I'm all, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, now, you talked about being a chef, written a cookbook. I've not written a cookbook. I've had I've had recipes published. Okay. I've sold oh, okay. recipes. Okay. I'm sorry. I've, yeah. I've um, wrote that wrong. Well, that's, I mean, still, they've been published, so they're in something that yes. is probably a book. Um, but what are, what are some of your favorite dishes to cook? Oh, man. So... I ha I can essentially cook anything you want Italian, um, literally from Northern Italian cuisine to Southern Italian cuisine, which are both radically different from each southern other. Southern Italian has biscuits. With what do you it? call yeah, the cheese? What, what do you call the cheese you put on your pasta? You talking mozzarella? Yeah, see, he says it like that too. I've heard people from New York say mozzarella. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I get, I, my wife says all kinds of weird Italian words. Yeah, yeah. they cornered the market on being Italian. Um, but in the last 
few months, I've gotten really into cooking Thai food and uh, have been working. I took a couple of cooking classes, um, looked at their recipes, decided I didn't like them. Now I go to the Thai market <laughs> on South Boulevard and the little old lady, Thai lady, uh, like helps me. Um, Is that she, the one just north of Woodlawn? Yes, I used to go in there with a friend of mine. Um, and I, I, every time I, every time I'm in there, I think she looks at me. And goes, oh, look at the little white boy who make Thai food. You know, <laughs> he's so tiny. <laughs> no, that's a lot. Of, that's one something you can't say about me. <laughs> he's so short. There you go. Okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't but know. To we an, were going, I didn't know we were going question. theater of the mind in here and let people know that you're six foot seven and 170 yeah, pounds. Anyone who's ever seen me knows that the only six foot seven I might be is wide. Oh, good lord. I got a question for you. Okay, that's what we're here for. I'm looking at your shirt. Whose kidney is that inside your body? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I am a kidney transplant recipient, (laughs) and um, it has nothing to do with my shirt. Um, However, uh, my uh, significant significant other, my Vicky, my partner, my... Our Vicky, our biggest fan. She is your biggest (laughs) fan. She really is. Shout out to Um, Vicky. Big shout out to Vicky. Because without Vicky, I'm not here. But uh, in 2014... um, my Vicky gave me her kidney and saved my life. That's the only reason I'm still here. Mm. So, uh, and Vicky is the biggest Mad Park fan there is. Yeah. We recently went to New York and we were, we were in New York and for four days, all Vicky wore was Mad Park t-shirts. So I kept texting them back. Hey, look at the one today. Hey, look at this one. Hey, look at this one. <laughs> and, um, yeah, we love that. Yeah. No, she totally, she's your, your biggest fan. She just said, tell them to stop sending me the girly pink stuff. So. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I did. <laughs> that was a stereotype on my part. You know, well, sure if pink. you know, Vicky, you know that, that girly, she's, she's not girly at all. Uh, I mean, she's, she's a woman, but yeah. I don't know how I can get out of that gracefully, so let's move on. <laughs> I'm sure you in Manhattan, people will go, hey, aren't you the guy from Charity Case? Never mind that. That's the chick from Mad Park. <laughs> there you go. That's exactly what happens. We gotta follow up. We What's funny is Instagram. when I'm in Manhattan, they make fun of me for being Southern. Yeah. You know, and then when I'm here, when I, and then my friends tell me, you know, you, you, you lost your New York. And then when I'm here, I get, you're not from here, are you? Our friends from Kansas we grew up with, they moved out here and they still sound like, you guys, fantastic. And then they'd go back home and say, y'all, and people, I don't know, they thought they had, had their hand amputated and were trying to pick <laughs> yeah. their nose with their elbow. It's a great analogy. I don't it's know good visuals. Yeah. Yeah. Moving on. <laughs> uh, first concert you ever went to? You guys asked me this last time. And, yeah. Um, there, was never, there was never a last time. There was never a last time. time. There was no technical difficulties. No. Eddie Z didn't screw up the recording. The first, the first no, time. No, 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 never. Um... I don't remember what my first concert is, honestly. What's your, um, what was the, the your, most, influential most memorable? Yeah. Well, the most influential was two. Number one would have been Elton John. I've, I've seen Elton John 15 times or more. And how old were you? Uh, God, I was really young. I was probably eight or nine yeah. the first time. Um, and, but the one that, that changed everything for me was seeing Van Halen open for Black Sabbath in 1978, Madison Square Garden. That blew my mind. I have a brother who's 11 years older than me, and he was living in California at the time. And he's like, there's this band out here that everybody is is talking about. They're from Pasadena. Um, They got this young guitar player. His name's Edward Van Halen. If you hear about them, go see them. And me and my buddy Eddie went to, uh, I do, my best friend's name is Eddie. Um, We went to go see Van Halen at Madison Square Garden in 1978 and just make Swiss cheese out of Black Sabbath. Um, Those guys didn't have a chance and that yeah. that changed my life uh well I ozzy just, was kind of on his way out the door and 
Van Halen was on their way in. I don't care if it would have been Black Sabbath and in their you, heyday. Van Halen <laughs> on that tour you, was was would have people lit don't up like anyone. it when I tell them that Black Sabbath was a better band with Ronnie James Dio and he's a better singer. But I love Ozzy. They don't want to hear that. Yeah, it's sacrilege. Well, I, I think that Ozzy's solo stuff was really, especially his first two, three records. Were, the first three were really, records were really top great. 20 all the time. Yeah, yeah of course. Um, but but that concert affected me the most. And, you know, I got to work for them, them being Van Halen two different times after that. And it was better to be a fan. Right. Yeah. You don't want to move the curtain back. You don't want to meet your heroes, I've been told before. I, I've met some heroes that were fantastic. Yeah. Well, let, let's move on. Yeah. What about... And you may not want to talk about it, but uh, worst concert you've ever been to, whether it was because they just didn't sound good or um, the worst concert had. I've ever seen was the Rolling Stones in Charlotte. Um, 96. No, it was much more recent than that. Mm. Uh, I would I don't remember the year, but it was in the last five or six years. It was so bad that I walked out. The sound was was just horrendous. The band sucked ass. And um, I had seen the Stones a couple times before, and they were really good. I saw them at Madison Square Garden with my buddy Ace. We flew up there and, and saw them on an HBO special night, and it was fantastic. And then the last time they were here, it was, uh, it was really bad. I saw them in 94, Williams. I think it was around 94, Williams Bryce Stadium down in Columbia. They were right, the Stones. Saw them again, I said 96 or 97 at the football stadium. Whatever it was named then, Erickson Stadium, I think. In it was Charlotte. Then. Yeah. Yeah. And that just wasn't a, a stadium was not a good deal for them. I so think. a funny thing about that particular tour is I got a call the day before that the Stones might need a place to rehearse, mm. and uh, I was freaking the hell out. And it never came to fruition, but it was on that it was on that tour. Did you start vacuuming um, the whole place? <laughs> <laughs> no, I started burning incense so it didn't smell like fish and hair. <laughs> oh, that playroom. That play, yeah. Yeah, oh, that okay. the, the original. The original play. Fish and hair must be yeah. Tenth and Graham. There, there it is. There it is. By the way, that Circle K right across the street is still there. It burned up a couple of times. It has. Um, not while I was there, though. That was after. Uh, but I, Right behind was, the giant cement plant? Yes. Yeah. There was a, a day, back then I partied pretty hard, and, and I smoked cigarettes as well. It was like probably 94. And I remember stumbling out of, my, out of the studio and going to go across the street to get, to get cigarettes. And I, my hair at the time was probably down to my waist and all kinds of crazy looking. And uh, this dude pulls up in a car as I'm trying to cross the street. He's like, hey, man, you got any money? <laughs> could, could you lend me any money? I'm like, dude, you're the one in the car. I'm walking, you know, I'll never, never forget that. Like, seriously, are you crazy? <laughs> Keep walking, pal. Shoot. Keep driving. Um, this is a question we ask a lot of people, a lot of artists and other people just in conversation. Uh, some, some form of this question, does Charlotte have an adequate amount or good enough venues for musicians to play at which musicians can play is what I should say. Well, I think that's a long answer to be honest with you. Um, we've lost a lot of, a lot of specific music venues here in the last few years. Yes. We've lost the Double Door. We've lost Tremont. Um, there's more. In the same respect, there are more places to play now than ever because of the brewery thing. Yeah. Um, the breweries are hosting a tremendous amount of music. It, it's hard, though, as an artist because the, in those, the places we lost were music venues. The gigs and breweries are just background noise. They're background music. Um, but more people are going out to see bands than have ever before. Someone just asked me this the other day. 
in my opinion, wrong or right, whatever you want to call it, um, the Charlotte music scene is busier now, or, or, yeah, busier, I guess is the word, than it has been in all the time I've been here, simply because there are more people going out to see shows, and there's this big initiative called Center City, uh, called Music Everywhere, CLT, by Center City Partners, and it's a game changer. It is, uh, we're, we're seeing things we've never seen before, and they just announced, uh, I believe it's called Charlotte Shout, <coughs> which is going to be a 16-day festival that happens uptown. 16 days. Um, and that's all came from this partnership uh, I'm sort of involved in called um, with the Center City Partners. And that is uh, a this Charlotte Shout is a direct result of that. Oh, so we've just moved into another plug. I didn't realize we were moving into another plug. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. a good thing. We yeah. need we need uh, content. Thanks for calling out my transition. Sorry. Do you, do you have a favorite <laughs> venue here that you guys like to play at when you're doing charity case stuff? I Le don't, or? honestly. Um because charity case doesn't pl isn't isn't typical, and we don't play in right. typical venues. That's true. I mean, we've played in every we've sold out every arena in this area. We've sold out. Um, we went seven years and sold out every show we did. Mm -hmm. So it's not fair for me to answer that because our experience is totally different than what the band down the hall at the playroom. It's certainly gets. not typical. No, no. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to realize that charity case doesn't show up and play for less than ten grand. Right. You know, if we're showing up, we're making stupid money because it all goes to, to, to children, you know, and it's not not the three hundred dollar bar band experience. That well, let me go back on that question then. <clears throat> Obviously, other than Charlotte, do you guys have you enjoyed another city specifically to when you guys have toured and done? Yeah. Um, so Hickory of North Carolina has embraced us over the years. Um, honestly, you feel like you're Elvis in Hickory because uh, we've had instances we shot a video there where 15,000 people showed up uh, we've many times played for more than 10,000 people there we've showed up to venues there and they were lying around the building and we were like why didn't they open the doors yet only to find out the place was full and there were still five six hundred people waiting so uh, there are pockets of places again Charlotte's uh, Charity case isn't its heyday anymore, mm -hmm. um, but we still dig getting out playing and, and bringing, seeing the joy that we bring to people. Last June, we sold out the underground. We packed it out. Um, and the band just has so much damn fun. And the people that come see us smile and they have a great time. And the, the, when you put those five people together in charity case, there's an energy and there's a dynamic that I've never experienced before. And I've been in bands my whole life. What about, you mentioned some of the venues that are not around anymore. Which of those do you miss? I won't say a favorite or not a favorite, but which of those do you miss? Um, I liked playing Tremont. I love um, Tremont. I liked <laughs> going to see shows at the Double Door. I only, was, I only played there once. Um, but this is going to sound <clears throat> weird. My venue is the Playroom. Yeah, right. In other words, when, it's, <laughs> when it's my work, when it's, when it's your business... Um, I don't go see bands a lot because they come here. Yeah. You know, when, when Thelonious Monk, when T.S. Monk Jr. was, or T.S. Monk was playing in the playroom, uh, my brother asked me the next day, hey, did you go see a show? I was like, why would I go see a show? They played in my living room. You know, and that's the reality of the situation. Tesseract's in my living room. Anthony Hamilton's in my living room. Aaliyah, back in the day, was in my living room, so to speak. The Playroom is my music venue. More name dropping. I love it. <laughs> yeah, go on our client list, and you'll see we've had almost 30 Grammy Award winners. It's through. impressive. 
Um, that being said, have you ever thought about having your own venue? Even maybe if things, no bad luck to anybody intended, but let's say something didn't work out with the business next door. Would you ever open your own venue? I have been approached over and over and over to do that. And I think that this weird announcement that might be coming the end of June uh, is a step towards something similar to that. Okay. I'll leave it alone after that. I don't want to jinx anything. Yeah. I'm into it. What's next? What's next for the playroom? Anything big coming up? Yeah, there's there's a huge 90s band that's going to be in here the beginning of May. Um, as if you know me, you know that I can't tell you who it is, but I'll tell you after they leave. Okay. Um, but they were big. Uh, had a couple big, big songs out. Um, uh, the guys from um, Red Sun Rising mm-hmm. uh, will be in on Tuesday of this week because Pat Garcia and Dave, the drummer and guitar player, are going to be the studio band for Abby Kay's Mm. Oh, uh, nice. solo record Very cool. um you know so it's really funny uh when i started managing her um which is just recent uh you know it, it's you bring in your friends you know i've worked with 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 uh pat he's probably the best rock drummer i've ever worked with and when it came time to picking a band for that record you bring in people that you know they pick up the phone hey pat i need you to play on this cool i'll be in town you know they're headlining a Fillmore the next night so on an Perfect. off tour day they're going to cut drums and, and track. And, uh, you know, Abby needed a media coach, so I called my buddy Ace. Hey, man, I, how would it be if you're, if you're a 16-year-old and you need a media coach and one of the biggest radio personalities in this part of the country is your media coach? So, yeah, there's a lot of really, really cool stuff coming up. Um, I have a single coming out. Shout out to Stella Whittle. Um, she has a song called He's My Hero, and that will be released on Memorial Day weekend. And hopefully she'll do a podcast with you guys. We'd love that. Um, it's the a song about talent in here. Yeah, finally. I mean, in addition to you. No, 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 more than me. <laughs> um, but I was the producer on the song. I think it's a super cool song. It's got a, a lot of really cool orchestration in it. We had some people from the symphony in. We had some uh, pedal steel. Uh, it, it's it's a wonderful track. It'll it'll be out Memorial Day weekend. Um, you're gonna be busy that week man that whole month is is really crazy yeah. for me uh and uh I'm, I'm just i just smile about it and i'm, <laughs> I'm psyched and i'm i'm very lucky it's a big year uh, for eddie z it, it's it's we're, we're having our 25 year anniversary and if, if i could have written a script on how i would like it to go i would have never imagined things um we're getting global recognition now uh charlotte is is really um checking us out for the first time well there's nothing else like it in town there's nothing else like it in this part of the country, to be honest. Uh, Playroom Online uh, is our moniker on IG. It's also our moniker on Facebook. We are www.theplayroomonline.com, which people have told me stop saying www. It makes you sound old. Uh, no, that's a fact. No, me giving out your MySpace page makes you sound old. <laughs> hey, if I have a MySpace page, you need to remind me of it. Okay, Ooh. I'll delete it when I delete mine. My top five. Well, I think that ties it up. Think so. Ram, nice rap, uh, Brian. Anything else? Uh, no, we'll go over it again when we do this a third time. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. Hopefully, we don't screw this up and have to do it a third time. <laughs> that, show, that shirt is throwing your thinking off. I think. I think I love that shirt. I man. know, but it's weird, dude. It is weird. I guess I'm gonna have to wear an eighth grade or an eight year old pajamas. All I can hear is skyrockets in flight. <laughs> <laughs> Brian's pajama top. On that note, we're <laughs> out. 
All right. Thanks for uh, listening. Uh, again, this is the Mad Park uh, podcast recorded live in the vault at the Playroom, 916 Tuckasegee Road. Serving and serving well Charlotte's music and creative community since 1994. And don't forget to check us out at madparkdesigns.com. Theplayroomonline.com. See, I didn't say www. You're learning. Have a good night. Google.
I see you dancing in there. 